On today's podcast, we're talking about the difference between rolling versus role-playing, when you should maybe leave the dice on the table, when you should maybe inspire your players to take matters into their own hands. Is it okay to rely on a game that's completely beholden to the roll of the dice? Or should you expect your players to take a more active role in the experience? There are different people with different play styles with different expectations, and we talk about how to handle those in your own game. Welcome to our first episode of Game Mastery. To begin with, we'll tell you a little bit about ourselves and why we're doing this podcast. My name is Steve, or Steven, and this is something that I've wanted to do for a while, and I'm going to act more as a moderator and the player perspective on this podcast as opposed to the two game masters who will be providing the majority of the high-level talk. I've been playing role-playing games for a very long time. And I love it. I love all kinds of role-playing games. I love science fiction games. I love fantasy games. It really doesn't matter. I really love the story, and I love the camaraderie that comes with a party that just kind of clicks and knows how to work together. I've built lifelong friendships because of role-playing. I have friends all over the country that I know because of gaming in some fashion or another. I know that many of you at one point in your life... Gaming was the thing that helped you keep it together. And roleplay gaming, it's helped make me who I am. And it's something that I'm very glad that I'm able to pass on to my own children. And I hope that through this podcast, people can do a better job of mastering their own games and their own lives. Hi, yeah, I'm Mark Ballard. I've been playing for 20 years and GMing for... All of that, I actually GM my very first D&D session. Most of my experience has been with uh, D&D and Pathfinder, but I've definitely experimented around with a bunch of different games and read even more than I've played. I tend to be sort of an experimental GM. I like to try to hack your system. I'm a big proponent of making your own worlds and creativity in general. And I'm Andrew. I'm a superhero by day and a closet gamer by night. I would like to incorporate my real-life adventures into my role-playing scenarios, but it would be a recipe for a total party kill. I've been DMing off and on for over 35 years. I actually prefer being a player, but there isn't a large gaming community in my small town. Fortunately, I've discovered an active online community and been able to use those online tools to reconnect with players from my past. So we're going to be talking about rolling. And we're going to be talking about dice. And I believe here at the beginning that Mark has a little bit of history to talk about uh, for dice. You know, dice have been around for ages. Different cultures have used dice and stones and runes and sticks and everything that you can imagine for all kinds of purposes from divining the future to being used in games. And it's really neat because we keep pushing back on archaeological digs. And we're finding kind of representations of these devices, these these things we use to manipulate a game. And Mark, did you have something you want to say specifically about that? 
Yeah, basically, best we can tell is dice pretty much predate history. So they're pretty intrinsic to us. They've been around for a long, long time. They think the original ones were either sticks that were actually, you know, rolled like along the ground. And also some were made out of knuckle bones. So that's some of the earliest ones we've got. But you can go back to right around the turn of the millennia there. And you've got all kinds of polyhedral dice. Like, you know, there's Roman D20s. And I've seen those, and those are pretty incredible. I've seen uh, I've seen where some are carved out of bone, some are carved out of stone. And I believe there was... Uh, and, you know, it's probably been in the past 10, 20 years where they uncovered Roman artifacts from a dig in England. And they came across a game board with pieces and dice that they had had descriptions of in writings, but they actually didn't have a physical copy. And so uncovering these things now is, is pretty exciting from a gamer's point of view, that there have been nerds throughout history who roll dice. Yeah, I think a lot of the early dice were not only used in games like we're thinking of, but a lot of them, like the dice, were the game, and it was for gambling purposes. You know, I think there's advice in the Bible about not rolling dice. So just like people used to get in, in trouble, you know, shooting craps in an alley, that's nothing new. Okay. So I I, I have a line that I've kind of thought about as far as dice are concerned for a long time now. And my line is, dice help us approximate chance and success modified by a character's experience, if we're talking a role-playing game. So, Andrew, how do you feel about dice? Do you, do, you, do you believe that, yes, it has this one particular function, there are multiple functions, is it more than just getting the numbers? You know, how do you feel about dice and their place in the game and for the players? I think that rolling the dice is a mechanic for determining outcomes, but it is also a theatrical device that you present the role-playing game world as independent of the GM's whim, that we aren't, as players, just following along in the narrative constructed by the DM and in the total control of the DM. It takes some of the outcomes out of the the DM's or the GM's will. And that's kind of important. At least it was definitely important in the older games. I and mean, the older generations of RPGs were very much player versus DM. There was kind of this challenge setting that was uh, that that's changed a little bit i think in modern games but in the early days it was you know the the dm set up a scenario that was meant to challenge the players and kill them off and that the dice you know the, they ensured that there was some kind of balance there so mark when you're thinking about dice for yourself as a gm do you love it or hate it when you have to go to the dice um, neither. Dice are just, they're just a tool. And I think that, I think that dice work really well for what they are. You know, you're supposed to randomize an outcome and then the modifiers add or subtract percentages. I love something that you've put in the notes and that is dice as a user interface. 
I think for those of us who work in technology and, and have any experience in user interface and user experience, you know, I never thought of Dice as a, as a user interface. And, and it very much is. I mean, different games, you know, whether they're board games or role-playing games, use Dice in different ways and use different Dice. And some use completely custom Dice and all that. And I, I never really thought about it that way. Do you think, Andrew, I'll ask you, do you think that that is part of what makes dice more important to players than some people might think is healthy? And I am being somewhat facetious on that. But do you remember your first set of dice, for instance? Oh, I've got, yeah, I, I've got a, some sets of dice that were favorites, obviously, because they tilted the advantage in my favor. But that's not what you're asking. Well, that's part of what I'm asking. So, dice as a dice as a user interface. To be honest, I'm struggling with that analogy. Interesting. I'm, I'm not following the connection. Dice are basically the way that you interact with the game. Like they are the most mechanical part of it that um, you have to deal with. And my point overall with the user interface analogy is that you don't really want your user interface to get in the way of what you're doing. So, you know, I think that a lot of times GMs will have players roll the dice too much in unnecessary scenarios just to, I don't know, they think that that's like helping players interact with the game, which to an extent it is, but I think that it's important to minimize the user interface to minimize the dice rolling whenever it isn't dramatic or important. And that's something that I know Andrew has mentioned before about the theatrical component. It's, it's not just something basic. It adds your ability to roll and influence the game is important to your enjoyment of the game. And maybe I didn't word that exactly right, Andrew. I get the whole notion of having superfluous dice rolls, that it can be tedious counting and that a lot of the, uh, and I don't necessarily think it's the dice, it's a lot of the mathematics that go with it, rolling complex combinations of modifiers and a half dozen attacks and ability checks and trying to calculate all that quickly so that you can complete a turn, that can be burdensome. I do think that dice provide a sense of agency for the player that without their die roll, with the uh, rulings coming across as sort of by fiat, that there's an illusion of power when you're controlling the role. I know I play a game where the DM rolls the initiative rolls, and I know that it's random, that it doesn't matter whether he rolls the die or I do, but there's something irksome about it. Because I feel like I haven't imparted my my little magic twist on the die. Oh, I absolutely agree. I uh, I am not a fan of GMs rolling the dice for players. If it's their ability, let them roll it. Unless it's absolutely... It, it couldn't be done fairly. It's uh, one of the reasons I have trouble with the insight skill. And D&D. &D. 
when you're talking about the insight and perception and listen and search and all of those things, you think that what you're getting at is a predetermined outcome versus an outcome that has not been set in stone. I'm saying that in particular, with insight and a lot of social skills in games, that essentially those can be solved by actual roleplay. Like, insight in particular. Players generally are like, hey, can I roll insight at him to see if he's lying? Right? And ideally, you as the GM should be portraying the character accurately. So they should be able to use their intuition and the clues you're giving to decide if they can tell if he's lying or not. You know what I'm saying? And I think that, like, by... Because you have to roll insight behind your screen or somewhere where the players can't see it. Because if they saw that the roll was high, then they would think, okay, well, I know that the sense I'm getting is the truth. And then if it's low, then they know that whatever the sense they're getting is untrue. So to me, I think that that really is clunky, really gets in the way of what's going on, and that it's better to just play that out and use and let players make their own judgments and it's up to you as the gm to portray that character as accurately as you can so that they can attempt a read i think that brings up a big philosophical question in general and that is whether your game is character versus the environment so that my my fighter makes a strength check it's not because i'm strong when my paladin with a high charisma is making the persuasion check, why would it then shift to the player's ability to come up with a dialogue on the fly to do that? Not that that's wrong. It's just a different philosophical way of playing the game. Is it the characters in the story building the narrative? Or is it the players and the characters building the narrative? And that's a fair game to play in. In the physical aspects of the game, the characters run the narrative. And in the social aspects of the game, the players run the narrative. But I think it's just as equally valid to say that that the characters run both the social and the physical narrative. So that if I'm rolling a persuasion check, it's my character's charisma that sells that, not my ability to construct a speech on the fly that impresses the DM or other players. That's certainly valid. My opinions on that are that characters... Okay, so the point of playing an RPG, to me, and I think to a lot of players, is to immerse yourself in it, to forget about reality, to escape that. And I think that, I think that whenever you use... Like, social interaction is very ingrained into just even playing the game. And I think that whenever you try and pull that out of the meeting that is the game and then concentrate that into a die roll without any context, because, you know, whenever a player, whenever a character goes up to the guard, they're trying to get past and they're like, all right, I'm going to roll diplomacy at him. And there's no like, there's no conversation about what is actually being said, and it isn't played out in front of the other characters. I think that it is inherently less exciting and less immersive. I agree with that. 
I think that can be fixed by not putting the burden on the player, but shifting that burden to the DM so that the player, for example, rolls the check, and then the DM comes up with a dialogue that's exchanged that fleshes out the story. You've got two separate methods of, of play. You have one that is focused on I am using this interface to approximate the success and failures of the character that I am playing. And these are independent of my own abilities as the person playing the character. And then you have gamers who think that the game itself and the role-playing aspect of it is the important interface that what they bring to the table in these conversations and trying to play the character as they envision it should be played is the key. And I know for a fact I've played in a group where there were people who were very theatrical and very dramatic about everything their character did. They spoke in the mode of their character. They would sometimes come dressed as their character and they would do these things and they would present their interactions in the game as that character. And when they had to roll, they'd roll. But I'm, I'm kind of deconstructing this DM's approach in this game that I played for three years because he allowed the person who was there in, in so much more of a pure role-playing aspect to kind of claim her agency in the game through that mechanism, where me, because I was not comfortable with that, the majority of my interactions were through the dice. And I guess it does take the DM to be able to handle those situations if he has a mix of players that are approaching the game in two different ways. I agree. I think that having a DM that is flexible enough to approach both types of players to allow the role-playing player to engage and let the player take the forefront in the interaction as opposed to the character, and having a DM that is flexible enough to deal with that particular player and have another player who is less comfortable coming up with the speech or the social interactions on the fly and would rather just roll the dice and then allow the DM to sort of narrate the outcome that fleshes out that scene. I think that having a, a good DM, somebody that's flexible, that's the sign of a good DM, someone who's flexible and can make the player at the table feel comfortable regardless of their play style. That's very true. I definitely think that if a player wants to play that way, where they roll the dice and then you as the GM come up with what they say, that that definitely needs discussed beforehand because players don't like you taking control of their characters. And I don't like forcing myself to take control over their characters, you know, because everybody has a certain vision of what their character is. Even if they're bad at sending that signal out to other players, they in their head have a vision of what their character is. And to take agency away is a touchy thing sometimes. I agree with that. 
And I think it's not an either-or type of, there's no dichotomy between those two options. The play may want to roll the dice and inject a little bit of basic dialogue and have the DM fill in the rest. And it may be the social player pauses for a minute and thinks about what I need to say and take a minute to spin it. And you can imagine that it could be a collaborative effort at the table to figure out what the speech is going to be. I think that the way D&D is played now in 2020 is a lot different than it was 30 years ago in the sense that, that there's much more emphasis on the overarching narrative. There's more character development beyond the ability scores, more story development. It's expected. It's not such a dungeon crawl kind of affair. There's a lot more political intrigue. And maybe it's just now that I'm older that I recognize that. And I didn't connect with it as well when I was younger. I'm not sure which it is. I mean, I, I do expect that, you know, in the earliest times of D&D, it was significantly influenced by wargaming. And that was where it was coming from. So you're probably correct. But I think that your other explanation could also be true, where whenever you're younger, perhaps that isn't something you pick up on as much. The way I generally handle that, if I'm going to roll the dice, like in a social interaction, I only do that if I am unsure if I thought that argument would work. I will ask them to say roll diplomacy or whatever it is. Only if I personally am unsure. If their argument was very solid, then I just won't even include the dice in it. Their argument was good enough, that's fine. Likewise, if their argument was terrible and there's no way it'd ever work, I, of course, don't have them roll then either. So I, I use social... I use rolling the dice in social interaction. It's the absolute minimum that I can. I think that if the DM doesn't know or hasn't thought through the outcomes of a failure as well as the outcomes of a success, if one or the other is going to end the story or end that chapter prematurely, then the DM needs to figure out another way to resolve that situation other than roll the dice. Or at the least, the player needs to be aware of the risks, or the rewards for that matter, of engaging in that action. If the DM doesn't have an idea about what the consequences of a success or the consequences of a failure are, then they should probably not be rolling dice in that situation. Or if they are aware that the consequences for a failure or the consequences for a success are going to be game ending or character ending, that there needs to be more gravity put on whether, and not be that that's the exact time to roll the die because you don't want to be the the DM that kills off the character without giving them some last hope. But that the uh, expectation of what the outcome is needs to be taken into account when you're considering whether or not to roll the dice. Absolutely. I think that takes me into uh, what I call my three laws of dice rolling. So the first one is, is the outcome in doubt? So that is, you know... Is the action you're trying to attempt impossible? In which case, you don't need to roll the dice because it's impossible. Or, you know, trivial, like walking, right? You obviously don't want to roll for that. Um, so the second rule is what you were talking about. Are there consequences for failure and rewards for success? Because if there's not, 
then you really shouldn't be rolling the dice. Um, some other things like that are um, if, say there's a secret door and the players need to discover this to progress in your plot, then maybe don't have them roll for it because just be like, oh, you notice uh, something on the wall. Because once again, if the failure would ruin what you're doing, then you don't want to trust your fate to the dice. Alternatively, if an action's repeatable, you know, uh, like they're trying to bust down a wooden door and there's no like time limit, nothing's going on, you don't need to roll for that. They can just do that, right? Because there's no real consequences for failure. Um, and sort of an addendum to this is if the consequences are boring. So let's say uh, that you got your players uh, trying to find a village or something, right? And you don't have any random encounters planned. Well, then don't roll for navigation to see if they find it because that just spends time. And the third rule I've got is, can the action be resolved by another means? So, for example, they're fighting against somebody, and the opposing wizard casts a spell. Well, if it's in the wizard's spell book, he will recognize the spell. Like, you don't need to roll arcana for that or anything. And then that goes... And that also is essentially what I was talking about with the social interaction, where that can be solved a lot of times by just talking to the, the NPCs rather than, all right, I rolled diplomacy at him. Those are basically the three things that I'm looking at to see if I should roll a die or have the players roll a die in any situation. So, you know, is the outcome in doubt? Are there consequences for failure and rewards for success? And can the action be resolved by another means? In your game, Mark, do you use a, uh, a dungeon master's dice tower where the player rolls the dice, but only the DM sees the result? No, I have everyone see the result. And actually, whenever I roll the dice, I usually let the players see the result. I kind of like the players to know that that everything's out in the open, that, you know, if their players die, it's no menace on my part. It is, it's just the way the dice rolled. So how do you handle, say, stealth checks versus perception checks? I generally don't if I can. So, for example, right, if the players are being ambushed, right, so they're walking along the road, and there's, I don't know, some bandits. And the bandits have had, you know, forever and a day to set up their ambush, right? I mean, I'll have them roll perception. But it's unlikely that they will see that because they've had time to, you know, set everything up. Likewise, if the players have done that in a situation, I also will tend not to roll the dice if, you know... Like, if they're just walking along and it's, like, a really perfect setup and nobody did anything stupid and they spent all this time doing it, then I figure it will probably succeed. I mean, I do roll the die sometimes, but in general, I avoid clunking it up with mechanics if I think the outcome's obvious. 
I typically just raise the difficulty level. So if I've if the bandits have had time to prepare, I might make it a DC 30 on their uh, for the or give them a you know a plus 10 bonus to their stealth roll versus the perception roll for the players. Just make the difficulty level much higher. But I, I get your point that you can. I mean, and both methods I'm sure are valid. I think that if I've got, for example, a rogue sneaking up on a sentry and the rogue fumbles the stealth roll and the sentry is able to pick up the stealth, the sentry may not react immediately. Uh, might not give away that they are aware of the rogue. They may wait for a better opportunity to to interact. They may lure the rogue into a position. I was just wondering how you how you adjudicate those types of situations. In a situation like that, I'd absolutely roll dice. Yeah, but if the player knows that they fumbled the stealth roll, then you've got that metagaming kind of piece there, and, and maybe it... That's true, and that is that is a downs. They they know they've been discovered if they rolled a nat one on that. That's true, and that's a downside of um, you know the method of having everybody roll where everyone can see it. But I think that the rewards of that method outweigh what's lost in that. So yes, it's not entirely accurate. Yes, it allows uh, players to metagame somewhat, but to me, I think. By having it open for everybody to see, it allows other players to engage with that role. Because whenever somebody, whenever one player is rolling, generally nobody else is able to do anything at that point. The game isn't progressing outside of that role. My goal is to have the players as engaged as possible the whole time. Yeah, and I don't have a universal all roles are secret type of thing. I typically roll, uh, have the players roll in a tower where they're where the result is obscured only in instances where the 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 character would not know wouldn't wouldn't have immediate knowledge of the result so if the you know if you're picking a lock you know whether it's locked or not you just roll that but if you're detecting traps or you're trying to be stealthy specifically those two rolls and sometimes even persuasion rolls you don't know whether or not you were successful or not i may have overstated the uh, universality of my role of my rule there. Like I, I do sometimes do that, but, uh, by and large, I do not. So I, I agree with you. You know, there's, there's definitely times for a little bit of GM secrecy for sure. I have some other areas that I think that where you should roll die and they're much different than Mark's perspective, I think. And that is, I use dice as a th- theatrical aid. I, I push suspense. I'll have, to create the illusion that there's uh, danger afoot or there's there's things going on that the uh, characters aren't aware of. I'll have them randomly do perception checks or have them randomly do a stealth check just because that I want to keep them guessing uh, about the environment. I want them to be concerned about what's going on around them, even if I don't have a an outcome for it. And so, and because I have them do that in a tower and they don't know the result, that's an easy tool for me to use. I um, also think that it's good to roll the dice regardless, again, roll the dice when there is a 
decision that might have changed the plot, but you know as a DM it wasn't going to. And it gives the players the illusion that uh, that it's more of a sandbox than a railroad. I mean, there. I, I, Can you give me an example of an ex- of a situation like that? Yeah. So um, you might have had a an adventure where they uh, they must encounter a particular NPC to sort of forward what you've prepared for the evening, maybe. Uh, and you know, we've we've got limited times, and especially in a sandbox campaign where they're able to go anywhere. Um, it might be that you need to temporarily, temporarily railroad them just to get through the sort of the, that, that one session, maybe because of lack of preparation on your part, but for a lot of different reasons why you might do that. And, the, and they, the players choose to go in a particular area, or they may, I might have them roll the die to, you know, determine whether or not an NPC is going to give them information, knowing that the, the NPC is going to give them the information so that it doesn't appear that that was the, it was sort of pushed on them, that they, they were fortunate enough to, to glean it. I can see that, yeah. Um, I, I don't know that I would interrupt that with a die roll, necessarily. I would play it by how the conversation with the players went, but I would be sure to get it in there, obviously, if it was important for the plot. I've got, I've got a world created. I need them to be somewhere. They go somewhere else. I just rearrange the world on the fly and put what I need them to see in front of them. Oh yeah, oh yeah, just just plop the key NPC right there. <laughs> so we're we're talking about this on a high level from a wealth of experience with one or more systems and and the mechanics involved. So when people are starting out as as a GM, do you think that there are maybe two, three things max that each of you would consider that would be real, you know, solid tenants to kind of go by when people are trying to make the decision between rolling versus role playing. And, and that may be a poor way to construct this question for you, but I know that when we were talking earlier about how D&D used to be. So D&D used to be you rolled a character and it had stats and it had abilities, it had spells maybe, it had equipment. And it was as as I discussed before with others, it's an imprint. It used to be an imprint. It used to be like this is kind of my my little avatar. And over time, an emphasis in especially Dungeons and Dragons has shifted so that you have all of these little connections. You have all these little tertiary things that you can branch off and pull in uh, for your character to enrich it and make it more alive and more representative of usually something that's a little different than you are. So, when you have a DM who's starting and they're starting a campaign and they've got people, you know, coming together, I don't think they quite have the luxury that maybe we do. If we know people that we're bringing in, 
uh, we've had experience with this person or that person and we're building a campaign and we're inviting people, then we have an idea of how those people interact and play together and with our particular style to game master. But if we're talking about somebody who's, you know, still starting out and still unsure and playing with people maybe they don't know, and especially right now because pandemic time and we're doing things remotely, you know, what what are the, the particular skills and considerations that you would suggest that, you know, people think about when they're GMing with people, if they come across someone who's more roll versus rolling and things like that, how, how do you, how do you adapt that for yourself to be an effective game master? That's sort of what I meant with my three laws, you know, is the outcome in doubt? Are there consequences for failure? And can you resolve that action by another means? Those are really the three things to think about when you're thinking about whether you should roll the dice or not in those situations. And uh, I think that that goes just as well for somebody starting out GMing as it does for somebody who's experienced. It's the same three things that you're going to be thinking about. Fair enough. Andrew? I think that as a DM, you need to be thinking about the big picture. You need to be thinking about the story that is, or the, the overall plot of the story that you're presenting to the, the characters. Who's the big baddie? What's the objective? How does all that play? And then are these die rolls interfering with that, with advancing toward that? Or has the die rolls changed what that is? How have the, is the big baddie somebody else now? Or is the objective for the party different now? And thinking about the big picture of, uh, and not get too caught up in the, the little, you don't, you don't want to lose sight of the, the, uh, the forest for the trees and getting caught up in the minutia of the die rolling can cause you to do that. Um, oh, absolutely. The plot and, you know, the way it's unfolding is way more important than when you roll a die. So th this is sort of more of a, uh, a lesser skill, more of a detail thing, but um, I do think it's important, but I agree with you absolutely that the most important thing is keeping everything on track, keeping the plot moving, making sure everybody's having fun. Having fun is the point of it, so. Yeah, it might be really important to that character at the moment, and it'd be inconsequential to the overarching uh, storyline. That, you know, they get a particular, you know, if you end up with a, a character that ends up with a plus three weapon at level five, your game is messed up. You don't, I mean, it's, you're, you're done. That's, it's just going to, you're going to have a, an imbalance in the party. You're gonna, so using a random die roll that's going to result in that, uh, that would be absurd. I mean, you just got to, you've got to think about how these decisions are going to result in uh, the overarching arcing story. You're going to have players do things that are high risk and you are going to, and you know they're going to die from that. You've got to give them, you've got to put it on their decision as the consequence and giving them a high die roll, letting them know that if they attempt this, that this is what the outcome is going to have to be. This is where they're going to, instead of just 
leaving it up to, you know, well, yeah, you did it and you did, you're, you're dead. They'll resent you for that. And that'll, that'll be bad. You need to explain what the consequences are going to be for that particular action. Give them a shot at it if that's what they're intent on doing. Uh, but let them manage their risk. Yeah, I think that having that using your narrative to let players know the risks that are involved in what they're doing, that's an important skill to learn so that people, so that their players do know what's happening. Um, because I have definitely seen players just do something off the wall because they misunderstood the situation. And generally then, you know, what you do is you'd say, are you sure you want to do this? It's like, blah, 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 blah. Here's the situation. And, um, then, you know, if they still want to do it, you're like, all right, I guess you did understand. <laughs> Go ahead and die. But, you know, once again, that, that is letting the player manage that risk and be sure they know what they're doing. So do you guys come across where you'll have a player who will absolutely try to jump in at every opportunity to roll for a result for something? Do you encounter that at all? Generally to me, and this is once again my beef with a lot of the social skills, right? Is somebody says something and a player who has high charisma, for example, will be like, I roll diplomacy at him. Or they'll say, I'm going to roll insight at him to see if he's lying. And I'm like, you know, that's an impressive roll. He's very impressed, but uh, let's... <laughs> a little bit more. Let's see how this actually plays out. Right. If you're talking about an inexperienced player who is uncomfortable and green and is is looking at the die roll as, say, her entry into the game you know which is which is pretty safe you know the role the role takes onus away from you for providing an interaction with the game itself and and puts it onto this object that's apart it's away from you it is on its own and you're 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 giving something up to that randomness if something happens it's not my fault well, it was the die roll, right? So if you are wanting to play a game that inspires more of a narrative back and forth with the players and the game master, well, how do you inspire that in someone who wants to hide behind the role? Well, I mean, you know, for example, in a situation like that, they say, okay, I want to try and talk to the guard to get past him. Then you just say, okay, what do you say? And, you know, if it requires a die roll, it requires a die roll. But generally, right, um, I find that new players will describe what they want to do in general terms because they don't understand the mechanics, which is fine. And then you just say, you basically subtly say, okay, this is how the games play. This is what you need to be doing, um, you know, just say what you say, and that's one of the things about being a player. That just comes with it as you um, sort of move along and get more and more experience. You know, the comfort level of, you know, talking at things. So you're reminding me of a problem that I had when I was growing up and playing with my friends. 
And that was when we started playing these games, I was the one who described what I wanted to do and what I wanted to try an effect for an outcome. And then that was shut down oftentimes by, well, roll. It's like, oh, well, I thought I was just, well, no, roll. And, and for me, the rolling took agency, and it's weird how that's now a buzzword, but it took agency away from me and my way of trying to interact with the story in the game. And then, you know, the example I used about somebody who's wanting to roll for everything, those are usually people who've played a few times that I've come across and they just want to roll to see if they have a success. Well, did I see anything? Was there a, was there a this? Was there a that? Did I hear something? And, and, you know, they do it all the time. I like new players because new players generally want to approach the game as uh, distant from the mechanics as possible, right? Like you say, you wanted to say the outcome that you wanted to, to accomplish, right? right? And I think that is exactly what more experienced players should be doing. Like, it doesn't matter. I'm there to tell you if you need to roll for whatever you're doing, you know? But I think a lot of times players, like, the game mechanics hinder them where they think, oh, okay, I have to attack this guy with my sword because that's my weapon. And, you know, if I don't have a weapon, then I'm unarmed or whatever. Whereas, you know, if you have access to a board and nails, you know, just that's a weapon. You put some nails in it and then you swing that at people. I think that the game rules, the more familiar your players get, oftentimes they get bogged down in those rules and trying to maximize and minimize them. Whereas I think your approach, where you were talking about, I just want to say what I want to accomplish, and then the GM tells you if you need to roll, that's actually optimal. Yay! I'm optimal on something. Hooray. <laughs> My day is complete. We, we can go to sleep now. That's great. Andrew, thoughts? I was thinking about the... I think it would be more challenging to have a character with a seven charisma trying to make a persuasion check and the player gives an eloquent argument against a uh, NPC that has a high perception or whatever you're going to use to counter that check and being the DM and trying to adjudicate, well, do I play this as the player has made this good argument, even though the character is going to have a, a huge disadvantage persuading this. And it may be that there's a, a penalty there because of... If they made a compelling argument, give it to them. I mean, you want to reward players for doing things well, for engaging with your game in a uh, constructive... Like, you know, if, if, if they give this eloquent argument, right then they are engaged with your game in a positive way. And you want to reward that. It, I, to me, like the stats are, are very secondary. 
I, I think I might play it as the character fails, but I might give the, I mean, the, the character fails in the persuasion check, but I give an inspiration to the player for later use for coming up with the clever solution, even though it didn't quite, wasn't quite effective or played out the way they wanted. I think there is something to having the character and not the player be the agent in the game. I think it's, I don't know, I guess I have a, a wider view that having a player that sees themselves as the, that sees the character as an avatar for themselves, that they are imposing their identity a little into the character, that that can be problematic for long-term gameplay. Because bad things are going to happen to that character. And if they've got a connection, especially a new player, if they've got too much of a connection to that character, then that can make a bad role-playing experience. They're not really following with the story and seeing how the character is developing, much like an actor would. I don't know. And that may be a discussion for another another podcast. It might be, but my overall logic, whenever I'm GMing, is always going to be that your job as the GM is to engineer fun, okay? And players are often trying to quote-unquote win. They uh, Players don't do necessarily what's in their own best interests for fun. It's your job as the GM to be the game designer and to be sure that people are enjoying it. So that is always the perspective that I'm coming from. You're trying to you're trying to make it positive and you're trying to let them have fun. So whenever I'm making a decision, that is the foremost thing in my mind. What is going to make this fun and enjoyable for everybody involved? Don't disagree with that. Does that ever involve punishment? No, I, I punish every time. Are you are you asking if I'm a sadist or if they're a masochist? What are you asking? <laughs> I I come from a you know weird background. I uh, think about punishment all the time. But enough of that, Andrew. You were about to say. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'd like to. Yeah, I, I think players like to have an honest challenge, and I think that. Part of the game is recognizing that they are that they've got to play the hand that's dealt them, and that may be a character with low charisma, or it might be a character that has low strength, or it might be a goat-footed rogue. Ah, inside joke there, uh, or nod. Anyhow, that their their <laughs> character's got some disadvantages, and I think that. It's a balance between saying that the player is playing the game or the character or the, is the, is the is the player trumping what the character's limits are. And that's the balancing act I think that that's the tough part. Honestly, I think that that is something that deals with being a good player. Right? Like if you're a player you're trying to balance that. And that is sort of one of the fun things about playing, at least for me. Of course, I suppose I don't play that much. Normally I'm GMing. But to me, that's one of the things that I enjoy. So, you know, and I've noticed, you know, a lot of uh, more experienced players will 
like rolling a character with low wisdom or low charisma or something that they can, you know, really use to define their role playing and have uh, and have fun with it. I'm not sure exactly where I was going with it, but that was my <laughs> thoughts. <laughs> oh, uh, I think that the the obstacle is the way, right? That's the the thing. You've got this player who is wanting to showcase his or her decision-making process. They're wanting to solve puzzles. They're wanting to work as a team together to acquire objectives. And if, if their stats are overblown or their gears overblown, especially early in the game, it really steals the fun out of it. It's like getting a video game and beating it with the cheat codes in the first week or so. And then it, it's done. The, 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 the challenge of the game is not there anymore. It, it's kind of lost its... Oh, absolutely. There needs to be a challenge for sure. I think, especially for new players, reinforcing that, you know, your character has limits. The challenge is to play this character the best he can be played, even with his challenges. And sometimes the role has to take some kind of influence of the player away from the character. Oh, absolutely. And I, I agree with that. I think that this only really comes up because there's this weird interaction between trying to trying to put a gauge on social skills. I think that that is problematic because then it it becomes hard to that is whenever it gets hard to separate, right? Like you know, it's the same to an extent with wisdom and intelligence, but I find that social skills, it's the most obvious, like what the player knows or what the player is versus what their character is. All right. So rolling versus role playing. We've talked about everything. We've kind of gone off and had some philosophical discussions about characters and interactions uh, I actually like thinking about the character with the seven charisma because so often bad GMs, they're not bad GMs, inexperienced D GMs will allow people to do things like, well, there is a stone door that is bound by magic. Oh, I want to try and you want to try and open it. Oh, okay. Go ahead and roll. Oh, you rolled a 20 critical success somehow. The barred magical stone door that weighs 900 tons, uh, you were able to open with your little gnome fingers. And there are people that do that kind of thing all the time, and they give too much power to the role. And there's also you know, the flip side of that, of giving too much power to the role for a one, where you have some DMs who will arbitrarily, without any kind of dialogue with the players make the result of a one so game-changing that you know someone someone dies and that person may not have had anything to do with that particular role and i i andrew is nodding he understands this and so you know being able to say no and being able not to be a dick when you are game mastering and to take 
into consideration that, yes, the players are there under your protection to play. You know, you've got a, you've got a pretty big role in providing people with a story, with a good time, and to be fair. Now, the environment may not be fair. The decisions that somebody makes may have dire consequences. But, you know, as, as a DM, taking the die roll and making something on either end of the spectrum happen that is so beyond, you know, the possibility of success or beyond the pale is, is something that inexperienced DMs need to be aware of and to step back from, in my opinion. Just a side thought. Complete agreement on that. Like, you know, yeah. I think those were good closing remarks. If you'd like to ask us a question or get some follow-up information, maybe submit a topic for the show, please email us at rpg.gamemastery at gmail.com. And we'll be back next week for more information to make your games better and to make you a better Game Master.